This morning, I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be beginning in verse 14. Would you stand with me, please, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that that you take these words that your spirit inspired long, long ago. And that your living word, Jesus, his spirit, would work among us to bring these words alive and fresh to us today. So that we might draw close to you, that we might be pleasing to you, that that we may just grow and become more like Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, last week we just finished uh, our most recent series, and you know I often do series on books of the Bible or short passages of the Bible, but last month we did a series uh, about money, money and me, and we talked about how, how God was working uh, and how he cares and what he thinks and how we should deal with our money. And I got to thinking toward the end of last month, what am I going to do next? As a pastor, I'm, all, I'm always thinking about what's next, and I kind of, I had already thought ahead to December uh, as we approached that Advent season and kind of had some thoughts in mind for that as, as we get closer to Christmas. And then uh, after the New Year's, um, I'm going to do something, uh, a, a series on the last week of Christ and all the things that Jesus did, and that'll kind of lead us up to Easter um, next year. But I was not yet decide what, what do I want to do in November? So I just started thinking about it. And, uh, you know, what do you think about in November? Well, Thanksgiving is, is the thing that most of us think about in November. And I started to think about the pilgrims, you know, the ones that we, 
we hear, we learn something about them in around first or second grade, I think, and, and we all learn somewhere along the way, we've put on those funny black hats, and, and we've done a, a children's program, or we've seen our kids in one, and, but most of us don't know a whole lot about who they actually were. And so this, this month, we're doing a series called Mayflower Misfits. Now, I want to go ahead and let you know because there's some history haters out there. I know who you are, okay? You hate history. This is not going to be a month-long history lesson, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of let you off the hook there, and don't be worried. But what we're going to do is this. I'm, I'm studying. I've got especially one book, and I'll share with you that book later, but that's a, a great history book. It's done by a guy who's a, a PhD in history uh, from, from uh, Vanderbilt, I believe it was. But he did a, a study of the original pilgrims. And so I've kind of got the background information from some of that work. But what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at scriptures that impacted uh, the pilgrims and what they did and how they ended up moving from country to country and, and ended up making such an impact on our history. So what we'll do each week is we'll look at the Bible passage and say, what, what was God saying in that passage? And then we'll look at, what did it say to the pilgrims? How did they interpret it, and how did it affect what they did on their journey along the way? And then we'll say, now, what does it mean to us? This is not Plymouth Rock. It's not 400 years ago. What do we do in this day and time with that passage? And so today we begin um, this first passage in, in Corinthians and it's, uh, I've entitled it, Too Pure for the Puritans. And we will um, get to what that means in a moment. But let's talk about the text first. What did God say here? Well, the Apostle Paul was speaking in, in what we know as 2 Corinthians. Now, most scholars believe that Paul wrote uh, at least four letters to the Corinthians. And we, they say that because in the books of Corinthians, they reference other letters, letters which were lost or never made into scripture or whatever, but we have two of the at least four letters that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church at Corinth. And um, he, he begins here in this verse we, we read, do not be unequally yoked together. Now, when you hear that, uh, that sermon preached or that, that scripture read, what do you immediately think of? Huh? Eggs? Eggs? Yeah, okay. We'll have a staff meeting later. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'll try to keep it brief then. Uh, an ox, an un unequally yoked, an ox. Now, generally speaking, uh, that is applied, when you hear it preached, a lot of times it's applied to marriage, Right? We talk about be careful of, of who you uh, yoke yourselves to. And that, as someone said, the ox, there was a, there's a teaching in the Old Testament. It says you don't yoke together. That's linked together for the purpose of working in the field. You don't yoke together an ox and a donkey. There's actually a thing in the Old Testament that talks about that. Well, that was one of those many Old Testament instructions. And, and here... The Apostle Paul takes that and like, you know, he knows we are not under every single bit of the Levitical law, but he says there's a spiritual truth from that ancient command that you don't put a donkey and an ox together. You're not going to get a nice straight row if you do that, okay? 
just like that is true in the farming physical world, in, in the real world of life, in relationships, whatever they are, if you yoke yourself, that is, if you get yourself in partnership with somebody who's not a believer, you're going to end up going all over the place. And like I said, we usually uh, talk to folks about this when they're considering marrying someone. Are they a believer? And, and, and I would always add, not just do they say they're a believer, but do they really love Jesus the way you love Jesus? Do they go to church just because they're trying to please you? Or, or do they really, are they really in love with God? But this goes much, much further than just marriage. It has to do with our relationships, our closest relationships. Now, Corinth had a problem. Corinth was a church that had as many gifts and abilities um, as anybody. Man, I bet if you went to Corinth, you'd say, oh, that worship was great. That was amazing. They were a talented, gifted church, but they were the church that always went back and forth to, to all kind of extremes, Okay. So in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul had had to talk to them about um, who they kept company with, all right? And he says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, get to the verse I want to get to, he says, 5-9, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle, so remember we're in 1 Corinthians, but he's already written them an epistle or a letter earlier before the one we have is 1 Corinthians, here in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I did not mean with the sexually, sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard, or an extortioner. All right. So Paul's saying, you know what? <laughs> you, you people, the Corinthians were always getting carried away. Paul said, look, you need to be careful about who you closely associate yourself with. And because they just were just hanging out and being really, really close with anybody. Now, again, we know we serve the Lord and Shepherd, Savior Jesus Christ who the Bible says is a friend of sinners. He was not afraid to be uh, counted and associated with the tax collectors, with the, with the prostitutes. He would minister and, and love to anybody, on anybody, and, and just reach out to them. But Paul's not talking about loving the whole world. We, we got to love the whole world. But Paul's talking about people that you really closely associate yourselves with. And, and so he kind of dropped the hammer on them in this earlier letter that we don't even have recorded, Paul says, I told you, you can't just be buddy, 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 best friends with someone who claims that they're a believer, and yet they live completely contrary to God's word. But he has to correct them. He said, I'm not talking about unbelievers here. And, and he's saying, look, some of the people had taken his message. Apparently, they're like, oh, Paul fussed at us. And they're like, oh, I can't go to the bank because that's not a Christian there. Oh, I can't go shop at this grocery store because they're not Christians. And Paul says, no, you missed the point. He said, you'd have to leave the whole world if you were just going to not do business or go shop or, or go to a place where there's unbelievers or people living wrong. 
Paul's like, I'm not about that, okay? I'm not telling you to go off somewhere in a commune and exclude yourself from all of society. But I do want you to know that those closest relationships, this is what I would call your running buddies, okay? These are the kind of people that you call when it's late at night and you're in trouble. The people that you really count on and believe on, those people, Paul would say, they need to be believers. They need to have the right influence in your life. Love everybody, be friendly to everybody, but the people that you link yourself up with, or to use that Bible word that you yoke yourself to, they need to be believers who are walking in the same way as you. So here we get to 2 Corinthians, and and he's, Paul has had an issue here. There's been some people that have kind of talked bad about him, and, and that they have put him down, and and, and he says, if you go back up to uh, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now return for the same, and you be open also. So he's saying, he's saying this. He says, man, you guys, have, you've started to shut me out. You started to push me out, and, and I, I, I spread the gospel to you, and I told you what Jesus was all about, and now some of you are becoming distant to me, and instead you're becoming, you know, closer to people who are not believers at all. So remember he said, guys, I'm not telling you not to talk to unbelievers at all. I'm telling you don't go running around with people who are believers but live like unbelievers. Well, now they're like, oh, you said it's okay to talk to unbelievers. And they were becoming best friends with unbelievers. And they were, they were, their life, you know, who you hang out with, we tell this to teenagers, but it's true of all of us at any age. Who you spend your time with, who you run with, who you live with, those people affect your thinking and your behavior. And Paul says, you've started to distance yourselves from me, and you've started to get closer to these people who don't even follow God at all. And then he makes a kind of a five-point sermon about why that was kind of crazy. And we'll just run through these like super quick. He, he gives five reasons. He says, after he says, don't be uh, unequally yoked, he says, what is fellowship, what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? He's like, they're two opposite spectrums. That's number one. What communion has light with darkness? They don't go together. What accord has Christ with Belial? And that's another name for the devil. Obviously, Christ and the devil don't have anything in common. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Because you are the temple of God. So Paul says, look... I'm giving you a ton of examples here to realize you're not to hate unbelievers. You're to be kind to them. You're not to avoid them at all costs. Love them, go out in the world, do business, shop at the store, whatever. But understand that you and a person who does not follow Christ, you are fundamentally motivated by completely different things. You may like the same music. You may like the same clothing styles. You may have the same sports team. But all these things are trivial compared to the foundation of your life 
If you're a Christian, it's Christ. And if they're an unbeliever, it's not. And he says you need to be so careful not to link yourself so closely with somebody who's an unbeliever. So, let's stop right there and say, what did this thinking do to the pilgrims? To those people who eventually crossed the ocean blue on the Mayflower and came over, landed on Plymouth Rock, and ended up in all of our history books. Well, back in England... It was a very interesting time in the late 1500s and early 1600s. You see, in the continent of Europe, uh, there was this little thing called the Reformation going on. There was these guys, Martin Luther and John Calvin, and they had begun to to reject some of the the dogma of the Catholic Church. Um, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. He didn't want to break away uh, from the church, but he had a real problem. Because the church had this thing called indulgences, and, and they were selling them as a, as a way to get out of purgatory. The theology of, of the Catholic, the universal church at that time, the Roman Catholic church, who was pretty much the only official church. There were little groups here and there. But the theology said, hey, you know, if you don't, basically, if you don't believe God, you're going to hell. If you, if you believe God, you're going to end up in heaven. But before you get there, there's this little middle ground called purgatory. And you could spend a long time there suffering for the bad things you did. But guess what? If you happen to give the right donation at the right price, we'll sell you something called an indulgence. And that means it's kind of like Monopoly, get out of jail free. An indulgence was you pay a certain amount of money. And guess what? You... You uh, helped us build this new sanctuary. God's going to let you out of purgatory so much quicker now. You're hardly going to have to be there at all. And, and, and this is going to be uh, so much better. Now, by the way, the Catholic Church long ago did away with indulgences. They don't believe that anymore. They had some reformation of their own. But at this point, Martin Luther, who was a Roman Catholic himself, he said, man, I, I can't deal with this, okay? And, and he thought he was just going to reform the Catholic Church. It was not supposed to be a breakaway and start a new one, but things went south fast, as they often do in, in religious uh, circles. I was uh, watching a, a Peanuts, uh, Charlie Brown, little show recently, and Linus said, there's three things in life I don't talk about with others, religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. Well, we, we can understand that. Um, there are things that are real sensitive, and, and we get upset about real easily, and, and religion can be one of those. So all this stuff, and then later on came along some other reformers like uh, Zwingli and John Calvin, and, and all this stuff was going on in Europe, on the continent. But in England, nobody was really all that worried about all this. Oh, yeah, that stuff's going on, but that's not affecting us, and and the Catholic Church was just kind of chugging along just fine. Uh, nobody was really rebelling against them. But then the king has a problem because his first wife will not produce a male heir. And, of course, that was her fault, right? And so that's, that's what the king thought. And uh, that was the thinking back in these days. If you don't have children or if you don't have the right sex of children, then it must be the woman's fault. So he got tired of her, and he wanted to get rid of her and have another wife that would hopefully bear him children. And he ended up having lots of troubles along the way. But he thought, 
you know, the Pope, he owes a lot to me. I'm a king. I want him to annul my marriage, and uh, then I can get another wife and things will be good. Well, in honesty, we don't know what uh, might have happened, but probably we think the Pope wouldn't have had a problem with that. Things were all kind of political uh, a good deal at that time, but the Pope had a problem because the emperor of the, quote, Holy Roman Empire, which you ever studied them in history, it, there's an old saying, they were neither holy nor Roman nor an empire, but there was this, quote, Holy Roman Empire and it took, that was in Europe, and the emperor happened to be the, the brother or a relative of the, king's wi- uh, of the king's wife. And the pope said, I can't make him angry. <laughs> I can't give this king of England uh, the divorce or the annulment that he wants. And so that's when the king said, you know what? I'm done with the Catholic Church. I'm simplifying greatly. But he said, I'm done. And uh, we're going to have a new church, and it's going to be called, hmm, Church of England. That, that has a great name for our church. We're going to call it Church of England, and I'm going to be the head of the Church of England instead of the Pope. And so the Reformation that came to England, over here in Germany, it was all about theology and what was right and wrong. Over here, it's a king who wanted to have his own way. And so he's like, oh, we're getting rid of the Catholic Church. We're becoming the Church of England. So they had this new church that was no longer Catholic, and yet it behaved a lot like the Catholic church, which again, I'm not talking about modern-day Catholicism. I'm talking about how things were then, and there was a lot of stuff that had kind of gotten messed up. And so some people started saying, hey, we've got this new church in England, and we're having the Reformation, and it's supposed to be different But our churches aren't really different like those churches over there where Martin Luther and John Calvin are. I mean, they're really doing some stuff different. We're just basically the same old church following the same old things. Instead of a pope, we got a king, and that's the only difference. And they were not happy about this. And they started stirring up, and they said, we want to reform the church. We want it to be better. We want it to be different. We want it to be purer. And some people start saying, oh, you think you're better than the rest of us. You think our church isn't good enough. And so they said, you bunch of Puritans. It was kind of like calling somebody a goody-goody or a holy roller, we might call someone today. And we're, that's not a nice thing, right? We're kind of insulting them. We think they're, you're getting a little overboard with your religion. That is exactly what the people called the Puritans. You think you're better than us. You think you need to make the church better. I think it's just fine the way it is. It's always been this way. But this group of Puritans said, no, things can be better. They can be more like the Reformation. And they were fighting to reform the church. But then there was another group. You had the regular Church of England. You had the Puritans inside the church trying to clean it up. But then you had another group called the Separatists. And they said, man... This whole church is messed up. There's no saving it. We can't even help this church. The only thing we can possibly do is get out of it. And the separatists started having their own church services. They abandoned the Church of England, and they started meeting in homes. And guess what? People thought that was weird, just like people nowadays. Oh, they have a church in their home. That's so weird, you know. Well, people thought that back then. 
And not only that, but the law was kind of against them. Not just kind of, it just actually was. Everybody was supposed to be a member of the Church of England. But they said, hey, just like today, there's a Chinese underground church. You know, there's an official Christian church that gets the, the sponsorship of the Chinese government, and it's okay, but they kind of have to bend their rules and, 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 and kind of have to do what the Chinese government says. But then there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Chinese Christians that go to those churches, but then there's other Chinese Christians who say, no, we can't have any part of that, and they suffer persecution because they have secret church in their homes. Well, just like that's going on today, this was happening back in England. And so these little secret churches of separatists who not only were the Puritans who wanted to purify, but they said, we're just done. And they started having their own meetings. And there one came up in a little town called Scrooby. Okay, it's kind of like Scooby-Doo, but you add an R to it. Scroo Everybody say Scrooby with me. Okay, one, two, three, Scrooby. Okay, so there was a bunch of people in Scrooby who started their own little church and that's where we'll leave it today, but except to say this. In that congregation, there was a teenager, and his name was William Bradford. And we're going to learn later that William Bradford, if you don't already remember that from history, he becomes a key figure later on uh, in the early uh, leading of Plymouth, the, the whole uh, con the colony and everything over there. But it's pretty neat for me to, to realize, hey, sometimes we overlook our young, our youth, and what. But this young man who was a teenager back then, he was being informed. He was being thinking about how life should really be. And he goes on to be a great man in our history. So they, these pilgrims, who become, these folks who become pilgrims, when they heard, don't be unequally yoked, they said, man, hey, we can't go to that church anymore because they include everybody in the entire parish. Everybody who lives in there is all forced to be a member of the Church of England, and they mix believers and unbelievers alike, and, and, and we can't deal with that. That was, that was their thinking, their interpretation. But what about us today? Uh, there is no Church of America None of us are forced to be a member or on roll. There might be some church. Now, some of you know your name is still on some church you went to 50 years ago, but uh, they, somehow the letter didn't get transferred or they won't let you alone or whatever. But we're not forced to be anywhere, right? We all have a choice. So we're not in that same position that the pilgrims were. But we do have a choice to make about who we're yoked to who we are closely linked and associated with. I cannot say strongly enough that the Bible never tells us that it's our job to go around condemning everybody who's not a believer. It never tells us that it's our job to be hateful for pe to people who don't share the same beliefs that we do. No, we're to love everybody. But Paul says, and it's backed up by so much scripture, even go back to Proverbs, and, and you'll learn where it says, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Who we closely associate ourselves with affects who we are and who we become. So this morning, I want you to think about Paul's words 
and ask yourself the question, who am I yoked to? Now, just in case some husbands or wives are looking for an easy out, Paul said, don't divorce an unbeliever, okay? Uh, if you say, oh, they can't be a Christian, I, I guess I can leave them now. No, Paul said, stick with them. They may end up getting saved one day as they see your example. But as you make decisions about who you're going to be close to in the future, how you're going to live your life, be careful about who you yoke yourselves to, who you link yourselves to, because it affects the person that you become. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you and we praise you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, we, we come to your word and, and God, we know that, that it's, your words are perfect, but you know our, our human understanding and interpretation, it can often be flawed. But I pray that you'd help us to do our very best, just, just like those believers 400 years ago, they were trying to do their very best and it ended up bringing them to America. God, you may not call us to move continents or even countries, but you do call on us to listen to the scriptures and to your words speaking to us. And God, if there's places in our lives in, in business dealings or in, in other things, if, if we have so closely associated ourselves in friendships or relationships with others who are drawing us away from Christ, Father, help us to be real honest about that, to make a change, to unyoke ourselves uh, from those things that lead us astray. And Father, that we would seek out and and yoke ourselves or connect ourselves to godly men and women who can hold us accountable and we can each encourage and stir one another up to further growth and obedience in your faith. God, now as we have our invitation time, I pray that you would bless those who are hurting. Some simply, they're in need of a, a, a touch of grace. They're, they've come this morning beaten down, and God, they, they need a touch from you. God, may you touch them right now as they lay their burdens at your feet. God, there are others who are, Lord, they are in, in God, just in turmoil over someone else that needs your touch. And, and Father, listen to their cries as they lift up loved ones to you. And Father, some you've spoken to today about a decision that they need to make. Help them be obedient and follow that out. God, whatever needs to happen, may you make it happen, and may we listen and obey. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have